Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome to this episode of the SG Engage podcast. I'm your host, Steve McLaughlin with BlackBaud. For decades now, it's been really important to understand some of the differences in giving between men and women when it comes to uh, their philanthropic activities. And there's no greater set of experts than some of the great folks at the Women's Philanthropy Institute that's part of the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at Indiana University. And uh, once again, we're joined by some of the experts from the Women's Philanthropy Institute, uh, this time with Director Jeannie Sager and Associate Research Director Jackie Ackerman. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Steve, and thank you so much for having us today. As you shared a little bit about the Women's Philanthropy Institute, um, we exist to conduct, curate, and disseminate research that grows women's philanthropy. And as part of the Lilly School of Philanthropy at Indiana University, I always like to note that uh, the school is the only academic institute dedicated to furthering the understanding of gender and philanthropy through research, education, and knowledge dissemination. We're excited to be here today to talk about the latest report in our signature Women Give series. We have launched about 10 of these uh, Women Give reports um, over the last decade uh, that, that looks at gender and philanthropy through many different vehicles and, and opportunities, um, including last year, we looked at Women Give 2020, which was the intersection of gender and technology. We've looked at the intersection of race, gender, and giving. We've also looked at how the transmission of generosity and social norms. So that's just a variety of the different things that we have looked at um, and done a deep dive with with regards to our research um, at the Women's Philanthropy Institute. Thanks, Jeannie. That's really helpful background. And Jackie, could you walk us through this latest research and maybe just give our listeners a sense of what were some of the things you were hoping to understand, to identify, and what was some of the work that you did as a part of the research? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, and I'll echo Jeannie's thanks for having us on, on the podcast. Our most recent uh, rollout, Women Give 2021, is all about how households make giving decisions. And we wanted to examine that um, for, for a couple different reasons. First, kind of from the, the research nerd side, um, we didn't really have any recent data on how the general population makes giving decisions within households, within families. So the last time that the question, how do you decide as a couple, as a household about charitable giving was back in uh, 20, excuse me, 2005 um, for the general population. And so we know that things have been changing in households and philanthropy uh, over the last 15 years and, and really it's time for an update. Um, so that's one, uh, one part of our motivation for this. And also we just know that, that so much is changing for households over the last few decades, we know that the role of women um, in society at large and also within households is, is changing and growing. Women have more financial influence uh, within society and within their own uh, families than ever before. Um, and then also that that is kind of in flux uh, with the pandemic. We've all heard about the She Session 
and seen those graphs showing that women's um, jobs are, are being lost and, and not being regained at the same rate uh, as men's jobs. And, and so this is kind of a pivotal moment to really understand how women's financial power um, is changing within households. And so uh, we really wanted to focus on the big question of who decides about charitable giving. And this report focused on couples. And, and so we've got all sorts of household configurations. This report is all about the couples. We've got plenty of other data with other household setups and, and we'll be examining that in the coming months. Um, but in terms of who decides, we have four different categories. Um, you can decide jointly. So most giving decisions are together with your spouse or your partner. You can decide separately. So each partner has their kind of own pile of funding that they give out of, and you might talk about it, you might not, or soul deciding and soul deciding by men or by women. So where one partner or another really kind of has all of that decision-making power about charitable giving. Um, and so I'll just uh, run over our findings briefly and we can talk about any of them in more detail. Um, but essentially, Joint giving uh, is, is still the norm. 73.4% of households gave jointly back in 2005 when this was asked last. So there's still the majority. Uh, in our newest survey, we um, found that 61.5% of couples make charitable giving decision, decisions jointly. So that's still huge, right? That's still six out of 10 households or more are making these giving decisions together, but that's also a pretty significant drop in the last 15 years. And what we found is that uh, the sole deciding households have grown. So when one partner makes uh, giving decisions for the household, um, both men and women, those kind of chunks of the population have grown. Women are slightly more likely to be those sole deciders compared to men. So in 15.3% of households, women are the sole deciders about charitable giving for the entire household compared to 12.1%. Uh, for men. And then the remaining couples, it's about 11% are, are those separate deciders. And so that's the basic answer to, to who decides. But the other thing uh, about this research that I got really excited about is we asked a lot more than just who decides. Um, and so it really adds to the research literature. We compared um, giving about charitable, excuse me, decisions about charitable giving to other types of household financial decisions and found that a lot of households really treat charitable giving similarly to their short-term financial management and budgeting within that household. It seems like households are, are really looking at charitable giving as more of like a, a monthly bill or, or, or something like that. It's, it's not a big, huge conversation or, or a long-term conversation that they sit down and have all the time. Um, we know that certain demographic characteristics affect uh, how households decide about charitable giving. So age, religiosity, and the educational differences between partners really affect how they make their decisions about charitable giving. Um, and then one thing that we found that was really interesting for the financial or philanthropic advisors in your audience are that only 1.1% of the households we surveyed have ever talked about giving with a financial or philanthropy advisor. I know if you, you survey the high net worth population, you might get a little bit higher uh, of a percentage, but for the general population, that's just so low. And also 
indicates that there's a big opportunity for advisors to be talking to their clients about something that's so values focused. Um, and then last, but certainly not least, um, giving seems to be a, an area within uh, couples and relationships that is harmonious and positive. So most households seem satisfied with the way that they make giving decisions. Partners are broadly agreeing on how much to give and where that giving goes. About three-fourths of couples agrees about the amount and recipients of their giving. Um, and so you have households who are thinking and talking about giving, uh, maybe not as much as, as we in the philanthropy field would like it. It's kind of uh, part of their everyday financial decisions, but it is, you know, we know that financial issues are, are some of the most common things to strain relationships. And so what's interesting to us is that charitable giving is, is not one of those. It's an area of finance and household finances that is, is broadly agreed upon and, and has the potential to bring joy in relationships. Jackie, there's a lot of really interesting findings in there. A couple of questions and, and try and dig deeper here. So one of the things you talked about was some of the shift in terms of joint decision-making versus sole decision-making. How does some of the new research compare to when you looked at this 15 years or so or go? Sure. I, I think the headline here um, is, is that joint decision-making is still the norm, but it, it has certainly reduced from 15 years ago. And the, the sole deciders, both men and women, are more common. And that could be for a few different reasons. Our, our, our survey was not able to, to definitively say, like, this is the one answer behind this. One thing that, that is a possibility is we know that people are marrying later in life now. Um, and, and if you are entering a marriage or, or a, a partnered relationship um, later in life, there are many more years of being single where you might have already started giving, developed your preferred causes and organizations. And so you might just choose um, to, to lead that philanthropy if you're more philanthropically inclined um, compared to your partner. The other thing that, that we think is happening here ties into the idea that charitable giving decisions look a lot like uh, these these short-term financial management decisions in households. And so what we think might be happening is couples are just kind of doling out responsibilities within the household. And one of those is you're in charge of charitable giving. I'm in charge of this bill. You're in charge of that one. Uh, you know, you're in charge of the lawn. I do the dishes. You do the charitable giving. Um, and, and that could be one um, explanation for why we are seeing more, more sole decision makers. And it's not necessarily that one person, you know, I don't want to give the impression that sole deciding means I go off and I give all of our household money to wherever I want. And I'm not even talking about it with my partner. It's more, I'm the one that's responsible for making sure that this happens, that it gets done, that we do this at all. Um, and, and so there are still those conversations. Most households are still talking about charitable giving at least a few times a year, no matter which type of, of decision making they do. That's really helpful, Jackie. And one of the things you were, you've talked about a couple times now is this shift in giving thought of as just part of your normal short term 
financial planning. I'm curious, is there some threshold that that changes when you get to certainly mid-level and, and major gift amounts where it is more of a long-term perspective? Any light you can shed there on how that relates to the you know sort of amount of giving and, and where that changes? Absolutely. And I, I will, um, I'll also defer to Jeannie uh, here uh, after my comments because she's been in the fundraising world for a bit longer. I, I will say that generally in our research, when we look at the general population, so, so kind of a, a cross section of America, if you will, those results tend to be different than when we survey the high net worth population. And, and the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy's research team puts out a, a study of high net worth philanthropy um, every two years. I, I believe the next one is due out in May. So those are great resources. But if you line those, those up with ours, um, looking at the general population, you will see, for example, high net worth households are um, giving higher amounts, which, which makes sense. They're using giving vehicles at higher rates, um, donor advised funds, they're consulting advisors at, at higher rates. So all of that kind of makes sense. And, and this study um, really just focuses on that general population rather than the high net worth. We do know that households have different levels at which they will consult their partners um, about their giving. And, and so one of the things that we've learned over the years is if you just ask someone, hey, how do you decide with your partner about charitable giving? Um, is, is it jointly? Is it separately? Do you do it all? What, what's the situation? The answer uh, is not like, yes, I'll check this box. Most of the time, the answer is like, well, it depends. Is this like a $20 donation or a $2,000 donation? And so we did ask, how much would you give to charity without talking to your partner? And um, as, as you might expect, I don't know, the number is much higher uh, for men compared to women. Men had a number uh, about three times higher uh, than women. So we do see even in the general population, this like gender difference in, in how men and women are willing to spend uh, their, their funds as a couple on, on charity uh, with or without um, speaking to their partner. Uh, Jeannie, did you have anything to add? All I'll add in terms of implications is that um, what we see on the ground is that, you know, having robust conversations about giving results in robust giving. And so, you know, part of I think one of the things that comes out of this report in particular that's important is to, as nonprofits and as fundraisers, to encourage conversations among couples about their giving, whether they're giving separately or whether they're giving together, if they're talking about giving, that's good for the sector. Yeah, that's a really great point that part of this is just, is there the conversation happening and certainly, you know, giving at different levels happens all the time, but but making sure that, that conversation is happening. Jackie, the other thing you talked about was this role of, of financial planners. And again, certainly we see this with larger, larger gifts and, and that type of a thing. But what was it in particular that kind of surprised you or, or, or was was interesting than what you've seen in the past in terms of the importance of that role in, in making decisions about charitable giving? Sure. I, I think for us, um, uh, this survey was much more detailed than previous ones. And, and so there are a lot of findings where we really don't have a benchmark to say this has grown or decreased or anything like that. So, so we don't know how this 1.1% of households consult a financial advisor or a philanthropic advisor while making their giving decisions. 
we, we don't have a comparison for that, but it just seems so strikingly low. Even if you're not a high net worth household, you, you could have access to a financial advisor at some level um, or, or be talking to them uh, about all of your finances, and, and that includes your charitable giving. So it did just strike us as, as quite low. And for me, whenever I see a, a one point something percent number, um, I don't necessarily think like, oh, that's really bad, but um, more that it's an opportunity. Anytime we see a, a very low percentage, it's like, should that grow? How could we make that grow? Um, and I, I think that anytime uh, it's, it, like Jeannie said, when the conversation is happening, that is encouraging growth. So that's true within couples. Um, but when couples take their their desires and, and their dreams about their philanthropic legacy or even their everyday giving to another person, to an advisor who can say, okay, here's how much extra you have, or here are the tax implications of giving more. Um, I, I think that is always a, a really helpful thing for philanthropy broadly. Well, like you said, it can only go up from there when it's that exactly. low. Exactly. So, it's hard, it'd be hard to imagine that 1.1% getting much lower. I think it also reflects what we we see um, on the ground, and, and that is donors don't necessarily think ab- immediately about a financial or wealth advisor when thinking about their giving. And oftentimes I talk to fundraisers um, to try and remind them that in many ways, when they are working with a donor or a prospect, they are the philanthropic advisor. And it's because we're having conversations about values with them. And so to always remind them that 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 your donor or prospect sees you just as they would see a, a their, you know, their accountant um, or their or their CPA or um, or their attorney. Um, and so to really kind of stand firm in, in, in that space in terms of educating them about 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 giving. That's a great point. I really I really like that. Again, viewing uh, that that gift officer or whoever's involved with that individual as an advisor who can give them options, give them something to think about, give them, um, you know, different um, avenues that they might want to potentially explore. That's a great point to make. Jeannie, was there anything in the report that surprised you or maybe uh, made you think differently about maybe a preconceived notion you had or or just something that that popped out that was uh, surprising compared to some other prior research? So I don't know. It was a it's a surprise because I think it's something that that has come up in other studies, but it's one that that still kinds of irks me a bit. And it's this it's this it's that finding four that shows that um, when the man decides about the household's giving, the household gives more compared to, compared to other decision making styles. And it's about the dollar figure. So men will go into a giving conversation already teed up with a larger dollar amount, and, and so in some ways. I want to use that finding um, to help encourage women donors to think about larger gifts, um, larger first out of the out of the gate gifts, because, you know, the the man in their life or their partner in their life is already thinking about a larger gift if, if, if placed in the same situation. But I also don't want it to it, disencourage fundraisers and gift officers from working with women because they think that the man's going to give more. Um, and this is because it's important to place this figure in context. 
So even though um, the findings show that only 12.1% of households have this decision-making model where the man is the sole decider, another way to say this is that the remaining 88% of households have a woman involved in the decisions in some way. Um, And so even for those 12.1% households where the man decides, this could still involve a more egalitarian relationship um, where the man may take on the task of check writing, but has discussions with his spouse or partner about giving. And so in short, when, we, when you limit yourself to man-only decision-making, ma- it really is only the case for a small portion of the population. And so back to something we say over and over again at WPI, if you are not engaging women as donors, then you are disregarding the nearly 90% of households in which women are involved in these decisions. So whenever the research shows that, do, you know, that dollar figure, because that's such a big metric, right, for gift officers and nonprofits, it's, it's, the, it's the dollars. And for women, so often philanthropy isn't about dollars. It is about um, all the other ways that they lean into their generosity. Um, and you need to involve all of those things, time, talent, treasure, before you can get to their treasure and uh, testimony. So, so that was probably one of the ones that just always makes me, oh, you know, <laughs> Not again. Um, so, but I think there are ways that that fundraisers um, and gift officers can can flip that figure. Yeah, you're great. It's a it's a good point because to your point, you you're avoid you know you can ignore them at your own peril because they mm-hmm. do make up you know almost ninety percent of some of the influence and decision making around it. And so you have to balance that out. Jackie, same question for you. Anything that you noticed in here that was surprised you maybe to some prior research that uh, that bubbled up? Sure. I'll, um, I'll say not compared to prior research, but something that was um, striking to me, at least, uh, was, you know, at, at the Women's Philanthropy Institute, we, we surround ourselves. I am lucky to surround myself with, with very strong women. And when we talk to groups of women and we say, how do, how do your households make giving decisions? I mean, it wouldn't surprise you to know that if we only pulled our audience, there would be way higher percentages of these women-only deciding households. And, and so I think that I have kind of been immersed in that world and, and heard a lot of women say, oh, I wish my partner would be more on board with giving, or I wish my partner would would get more involved or, or would come volunteer with me. And, and, you know, these are just kind of on, on one end of the curve in terms of philanthropically engaged women. Um, and so when I saw the, the results about, you know, most households are really satisfied with their conversations. The vast majority of households are, are not having any of this, like, I wish my partner was more involved. I wish they would they would have these conversations with me more often. I wish they wanted to give more. Um, I wish they felt more generous. I wish we could do this together. Um, we don't really see a whole lot of that. Now, there, there certainly are um, a, a small percentage of, of couples that have those relationship dynamics, and that's certainly something to keep in mind if you're a fundraiser walking into those conversations. But I, I think it was really nice for me to see, you know, there are so many potential financial issues that couples kind of get tripped up or or have clashes or friction about. And this is just a really wonderful, mostly friction-free, positive environment for couples. And and I really, I love thinking about, um, we always talk about the joy of giving um, and, and that warm glow that you get, but there is this joy that you can get from 
having conversations about giving with your spouse, with your partner. Um, I do want to highlight we have the, the full report available on our WPI website, along with an infographic um, summary of our findings and a couple's giving plan. And so that, that giving plan is, is free. All of our research is free and available uh, for download. Um, but that couple's giving plan is if you're in a relationship and you're, you know, you've given or you've given small amounts or you just really haven't had these conversations before, it's just a conversation guide for you to go through on your own or with a partner um, and, and talk about kind of what your vision is for how your, your household could be giving or, or um, giving and volunteering, doing all sorts of generous activities beyond just money. Yeah, those are really helpful points. And again, we'll post links to the report and the infographics in the show notes. Jeannie and Jackie, really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me today to talk about this new research and, and can't wait to see what you find out in your future research projects. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks so much, Steve. That's it for this episode of the SG Engage podcast. This episode is brought to you by the letter W. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.